Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. We are continuing to walk through this passage, and we are actually going through the Lord's Supper today. And so, rather than just having a Lord's Supper at the end of the service, it's going to be integrated into this sermon time, so uh, you'll see how that plays out in just a minute. But the thing is, is that the Lord's Supper is so much more than just drinking the juice and eating the cracker. You see, the Lord's Supper offers you and I an opportunity to remember what Jesus has done for us, the sacrifice that he has made. And remembering what Jesus has done for us keeps keeps us from taking him for granted. And you see, the Lord's Supper is a time to renew your commitment to God and an act of love and an act of worship. So that's what we're going to be taking part in today. And as we remember and memorialize those that have given their lives for our freedom, the Lord's Supper is a memorial service for what he did, the life that he gave up so that we could have eternal life. So let's just jump right in to the scripture this morning, if that's okay. We're going to look at verses 12 through 16, and we see the first thing about this is that the Lord's Supper moves us to remember our deliverance. Remember our deliverance. Now, I know I've talked to some people, and I know myself too. Some of us, we remember exactly the, the time, the temperature, the date, and, and, and everything when we got saved. And then there's others of us that just kind of don't remember the exact thing, but just kind of remember the way God worked in our life, the way we came to know him. But the main thing is, is that we remember what it was like to live apart from him and how we were delivered from that. And so that is kind of the place that we're looking at today. So if you have a copy of God's word, we're going to be starting with verse 12. It says, on the first day of the festival of the unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and prepare the Passover meal for you? So, again, they were there for Passover. That was something that any good God-fearing Jew would have known. Do you want us to get the festivities ready? Kind of like, do you want us to get the Thanksgiving dinner ready? This was this was much more to them than, than Thanksgiving. It was Passover. And if you remember last week, it's commemorating when the death angel passed over in Egypt and the Israelites gained their freedom from Egypt. So it says in verse 13, So Jesus sent them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. Now, if you just read that and just kind of, you're tempted to miss the significance of that, but it is very significant because typically in those days, in that Eastern culture, men would not carry pitchers of water. That would be the women's role. The women would carry the pitchers of water. And so if the men were carrying liquids, carrying wine, carrying water, they would have wine skins made of, of animal skins. And so they would have like the more, I guess, manly uh, carrier to carry stuff in. So the fact that the man was carrying a pitcher of water, it would not have been difficult for them to find this person. So I do think that that is significant. And then verse 14, at, at the house, he enters and he says to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. And this is where you should prepare 
our meal. So the two disciples, we know because of Luke 22, verse 8, that the two disciples that Mark is talking about are Peter and John. So Peter and John went into the city, and they found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. So what do we get from this? Number one, the upper room meal was special to Jesus. This was, this was the last meal that he was going to eat with his disciples before the betrayal, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, and ultimately the return. This was the, the final meal. If it was important to Jesus, it should be important to the church. It should be important to all believers to be able to partake in this ordinance that he has, has established for us. You see, Jesus was planning a meaningful ritual only intended for the closest of his disciples. This was Jesus' party. He was putting it together. And Jesus had to reveal some very important things at this dinner that we will see. He had to reveal some important things that would prepare the disciples. I mean, think about it. This is the last together moment they have before Jesus starts on his new trajectory. Jesus demonstrated humility. We don't see it in Mark, but we know because of John chapter 13, verses 1 through 20, that before they ate, Jesus washed the the feet of the disciples. Now, I don't know if you've ever been part of a foot washing ceremony. Many of you are probably saying, "Ah, I don't like feet, or I don't like my feet being touched. Look, I understand that. But I have been a part of a foot washing service before. And let me tell you, it is one of the most uh, meaningful services I've been in. Because back in the day, remember, they didn't have cars. They, they had to walk everywhere they went so their feet would sweat. And then that sweat would mix with the dust. And so it would get on their feet. And I mean, let's just be honest, their toes are going to be nasty. Some be like, ooh. But that's just the way it was. And so the feet washing... You're touching the the dirtiest part of a person. And so Jesus, before the Last Supper, washes the feet of the disciples. And what we learn from this is that, think about it, Jesus washed the feet. He took on the form of a servant. If you remember in the other passages, they would, the disciples said, no, you are not, we are not worthy for you to wash your feet. We must wash your feet. And he says, no, I need to do this to teach you how to be a servant. And so he's washing the feet of the disciples. And this is, I don't know if you catch this, but it blows my mind. He washes the feet of his betrayer and his denier. We know that Judas would betray Jesus. And we know that Peter would deny Jesus three times. So my friend, if you're sitting here in this pew and you think that there's no way Jesus could love me and there's no way I could get or Jesus could get past something that you've done, my friend, he has proven it even in his closest of friends that he loved them and he served them and Jesus wants to wash your feet and to serve you. Why? So that you will serve others. No matter what you have done, how you have taken Jesus for granted, or denied Him, He loves you and will give you every chance to repent until it is your last. Well, we go on, we see in verses 17 through 21, that the Lord's Supper gives us an opportunity to repent. There's that good old Baptist word, repent. What does repent mean? Repent means simply to change the 
It means to, if you are, if you have stinking thinking, <laughs> if you are addicted to things, if you can't let go of things, if you're trying in your best to be the best person you are and failing every time, what Jesus says is, don't quit pursuing those things. Kind of like if you know the prodigal son story. The prodigal son took his inheritance and he was chasing the wild life that he always dreamed about. That if they would have had a television and social media, he would have been trying to fill up his TikTok and his Instagram and, and all these other stupid things. And let everybody see how good he is. Until he got to the end of it and he realized that it was empty. When his money ran out, his friends ran out. Let me go ahead and tell you something, folks. If you are addicted to or if you are giving in to sin that is ruining your life, I'm going to go ahead and tell you when that sin is done with you, it will discard you just like it did with Judas. Well, verse 17, in the evening, Jesus arrived with the twelve and they were sitting at the table eating. And Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. This is pretty heavy. I'll tell you the truth. One of you eating with me here will betray me. Man, that's a harsh statement. Imagine you're sitting there at your work meeting and you're in the conference room and you heard there's going to be a firing. But nobody knows who it is. The office gossip has gone around and and it could be anyone. And the boss comes in and says, one of you has given away company secrets and you are going to get fired today. And you know that it's not you, but then again you're thinking, could it be me? I mean, all of these disciples are on pins and needles. And it says in verse 19 that they were greatly distressed. I think that puts it mildly. They were freaking out. And it says, each one of them in turn asked, am I the one? Isn't it amazing that Jesus knew who the betrayer was, but he never identified him. What does he say? He replied, it is one of you twelve who is eating from the bowl with me. For the Son of Man must die. And the scriptures declared long ago, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. So what we see here is that, again, Jesus never revealed his betrayer. The revelation that Jesus' betrayer was present at that meal and part of the inner circle shocked the disciples. It shook them to think there was a traitor among them. They were all stunned. Each disciple really thought they knew one another. I mean, think about it. Peter and Andrew were brothers. Surely surely my brother is not the one. And they're saying, Judas, Judas, he keeps our money. We trust him so much. I mean, they, they were just really wondering what was going on. No one immediately pointed to Judas because Judas had never given them a reason to. Well, you see, Jesus hid from the other disciples the identity of his betrayer. And I've got to think when he said that, I don't think he was looking at Judas the whole time because they would have figured it out. But I am sure at some point when he was saying that there is a betrayer in this room, his eyes locked with Judas even for a fleeting moment. Jesus wanted to give Judas every opportunity to turn from sin. Jesus is giving Judas every opportunity to stop into motion or to stop the motion, stop the progression of the stinking thinking that he's got of what he's in this for 
himself and how much money he can get out of this deal. When the disciples say, am I the one? The disciples had often debated. I mean, time after time in scriptures, we see them arguing about who is the greatest among them. Who's going to be sitting at Jesus' left hand and right hand? That's what they're arguing about. We want to be the teacher's staff. We want to be the, the second in command. But here, now they are scrambling, and they're not arguing about who is the greatest, but they're trying to decide who is the betrayer. In earlier culture, to share a meal with somebody represented something. And it still does to this day to some point. But in Eastern culture, when this happened, if you shared a meal with somebody, that showed trust. That showed love. My friends, if anybody ever invites you into their home, that is trust. And that is love. And the thing is, is that for someone to break that trust would be seen as awful. The truth is, this was foretold in Scripture and being fulfilled right before their very eyes. If you go back and look at Psalm 49, I mean, excuse me, Psalm 41, verse 9, it says, Even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food, has turned against me. Thousands of years before it happened, it was prophesied. When Jesus gave Judas the bread dipped in these bitter herbs, it was a gracious act of a host to a special guest. Now, when we get to Judas, there have been libraries filled with commentary on what the deal with Judas is. And here's where, for our time this morning, I, I kind of lay down. Judas, was it his choice or was he chosen? Was it his choices that brought him there or was he predestined to this and he never had a decision in it because it was his, his part to play Regardless, so he was born to do this. I think there's problems if you go to either extreme on this. Because some try to make Judas out as a hero, being the, the catalyst that set into motion Jesus' arrest. People would think, well, if Jesus had, or if Judas hadn't betrayed Jesus, he never would have been taken to trial, he never would have been crucified. That is very small thinking, my friends. If God didn't use Judas, he would use somebody. Because the plan for Jesus to go to that trial, to be crucified, and to rise again, and to come back, that plan has been in place ever since Genesis 1, verse 1. It wasn't dependent upon Judas' betrayal. It was dependent upon God's grace and God's mercy. Judas was neither a martyr, nor was he a predestined betrayer. Judas was responsible for making his own choices. However, God used his choices to fulfill his plan. You've got to think about this. God never uses sin to accomplish his purpose. He will never tempt you to sin. But if you are in sin, he will use that for his purpose. God's plan was not for Judas to, be, to betray Jesus and to ultimately kill himself. God's plan for Judas was to repent and become a believer. But he refused to. Jude, Judas was lost for the same reason millions are lost today. That is because he did not repent of his sins. He did not believe in Jesus Christ. 
and refusal to repent and believe, it sets the hook. Those of you who are fishermen, it sets the hook. You know, when you pull the, the rod back and you get that hook set into the mouth, that once you get that hook set, nine times out of ten, you're going to get that fish, right? But refusal to repent, to sit in a church week after week, to sit and hear on your radio or to, to pray and to, to hear God talking to you and for Him to convict you of things that you're doing wrong and things you need to do and to refuse to do that, each refusal is one more tug of that line to set that sin in your life. You see, Judas was sitting at the place of honor at the Lord's left while reclining, John was reclining to his right. And after Judas ate the Lord's Supper, Satan possessed him. Judas left the upper room to go make the final arrangements to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ. So as soon as he left that upper room, he went to the scribes and the Pharisees to negotiate the ransom for Jesus. He had every opportunity, every chance. He was afforded Jesus never called him out in front of the other people. Jesus gave him every chance, but he was so hooked by sin that he was oblivious to it. Here's the point, folks. We need to evaluate and repent where necessary. We need to evaluate and repent where necessary. You see, observance of the Lord's Supper, it screams who take it to truly evaluate their heart. It's more than just some some churches do Lord's Supper every week. Some churches do it sporadically. Some don't do it at all. We, as our church, have decided we want to do it every fifth Sunday, as as it allows. But it's, it's not just, okay, let's take the cracker, let's take the juice, and let's go home. Well, we see from... As we are walking through Mark 14, we see that now, in this moment, is a time for all who would take these elements in just a few minutes to evaluate themselves and to repent where they need to repent. Because we are not supposed to take this ordinance in an unworthy fashion. If we do, we are just like Judas. You say, well, I wouldn't betray Jesus. I've got sin in my life, but I wouldn't betray Jesus. Well, if you have sin in your life, you are betraying Jesus. And there's no differentiation between a big sin and a little sin. Sin is sin. Observance of the Lord's Supper. Do not ignore the impact of the Lord's Supper. It may be, just like Judas, this may be your last opportunity to turn from your sin, which leads to a path where Jesus says, It would have been better if that man would have never been born. This does not mean that Jesus didn't love Jesus. He gave him every opportunity to repent. He just didn't take it. So the way we're going to do the Lord's Supper today is I'm going to have you, uh, Trista is going to play a song. I'm going to have you stand and just for a minute, if you want to come forward and you want to pray, you want to join this church, if you want to, Repent or come to the altar. This is the time for you to respond, and then we will hand out the elements. And when we hand out the elements, don't do anything with them yet. We're just going to hand them out, okay? Please stand, trust to play this song, and we'll give you just a minute if you'd like to respond. Yes, Jesus, you are here today. Father God, take us back to that upper room.
as we gaze into your eyes, Lord. Convict us where we need to be convicted. And as we take these elements, may it be a reminder of what you've done for us, Lord, that none of us would leave here taking you for granted. Father God, as we continue in our service this morning, may your word come alive to us. May your spirit be among us as we partake in such an intimate act of faith, Lord. For it's in your name we uplift, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Before we take part of the elements as we normally do, I wanted to incorporate it into because it's in our scripture. So this is a little different, but just hang with me for a minute. The third point that we see in Mark 14, verses 22 through 26, is that the Lord's Supper moves us to remember Jesus' sacrifice in a tangible way, much like we remember the sacrifices of our men and women of our armed forces that have given their life. We remember how Jesus has given his life for us. As we think of the elements, we're not doing a full Lord's Supper meal here because we're traditionally we do the the crackers and the juice, but during the Passover meal, they would have bitter herbs that would remind them of the bitterness of their slavery in Egypt. The reason they used unleavened bread, the reason we have that wafer in this kit, is because unlike nowadays, people have all kinds of time to to pack and to go. If you go back and you read the story of when the Passover first occurred, God gave them very little time to say, get your stuff and get out of here. So they didn't even have time to let their bread rise. That's why they used unleavened bread. And the main course of the meal was lamb, the sacrificial lamb. But there was no lamb at Jesus' last supper because he was the lamb. He was the sacrificial lamb. Mark 14, 22-26 says, As they were eating, Jesus took some of the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, for this is my body. My friends, when Jesus said, Take it, it wasn't like he was throwing a hamburger out of a drive through window to you and saying, Take it. When he says, Take it, this was not forced. This was an invitation. No one is forcing you to take this Lord's Supper. It is an act of worship that you decide to take on your part. And there have been some people that would say, I'm not in a condition to take it, and they have refused to take it. And I I have more respect for somebody that does that than somebody who just blindly does it because they want to be like everybody else. Verse 23, And he took a cup of wine, and he gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them, and they drank it from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. And I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it in the new kingdom of God. There is so much in this passage. Jesus did what no other person could do. Jesus established a new covenant and a relationship with God. He changed the game. He changed the rules. No longer was there needed priests and temples and sacrifices and cleansing rituals. Jesus said, I am the way to God. This is the new covenant. 
you believe in me, your sins are forgiven, and you will have a relationship with God. The new covenant in his blood would do what the old covenant sacrifices could not do. Those Old Testament sacrifices would spill blood after blood after blood of animals to cover the sins of the people. But Jesus' blood was spilled once, once and for all. And when it says, until that day, Jesus has not yet celebrated the Passover in heaven, but he waits for all the proper people to be gathered to him where there will be the great supper. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb, and it's found in Revelation 19.9. So with that said, take out your, your post-COVID communion kit. He says, this is my body that was broken. Take it in remembrance of me. Then he said, this is my blood that was spilled for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. As we close out our passage today, it says in verse 26, it's real easy to skip by this, but it says in verse 26, they, they then sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Again, the Mount of Olives, how significant is that? Jesus' first sermon was on the Mount of Olives. Yes, Jesus was a singer. We don't know how he sounded. But he would lift up his voice and sing scriptures to his heavenly Father. And we don't know what it sounded like, but we do know that he gave it his all. Jesus was not a half-hearted singer. And as the cross looms in his forefront, and he is about to be handed over to his enemies by his betrayer, he could still sing. He knew what was coming, but yet still sang. Well, some people might ask, what did Jesus sing? Well, a Passover meal always ended in the Jewish custom with singing three psalms known as the Hallel, which were Psalms 116 through 118. And remember, psalms are songs. We don't know what the music was, but there was a song that was, the lyric sheet was Psalm 116 through 118. So surely the words of these psalms ministered to Jesus. He needed to hear his father's words. He needed to hear the scripture to comfort him for what was about to happen. So the application for us today is that you should sing. I should sing. We should sing to God our Father. Why? Because Jesus did. Because it meant something to him and it pleased him. So when you love someone, you do what will please them, right? So we are going to end today with a a song. Donna's going to come in and lead us in Amazing Grace. So once we finish that chorus of Amazing Grace, it's just going to be the first verse. You will be dismissed. (laughs) 